You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. We are starting a new preaching series today in the parables of the kingdom. If you look at Jesus' ministry, you can see that everything he did and everything he taught revolved around this one core message. It was the message of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In the person of Jesus, the presence and the power and the rule of God has come near, and we can enter into it through faith in him. One of the main ways that Jesus taught about the kingdom was through parables. Did you know that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 35% of Jesus' teaching is in the form of a parable? So what is a parable? Well, people define it a lot of different ways. It's basically an extended simile, a, a comparison that can turn into a story. And so Jesus said things like this, The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, leaven hidden in flour, a grain of mustard seed sown into the earth, a net thrown into the sea, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and so on. Often, these comparisons turned into stories that draw us in and help us discover new meaning. And we need that. Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world. So if we're going to understand a kingdom that's not of this world, that means we're going to have to think differently. We're going to have to hold our assumptions loosely. And parables help us do that. Uh, Parables provoke, and depending on how we respond, they awaken new insight. This is going to be a great series because parables are for everyone. Kids are going to love these puzzling stories. Um, If you're new to church or you're just looking into the Christian faith, you're going to love the parables because they give you handles for grasping who Jesus is and what he's about. If you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, the parables have a way of helping us see with fresh eyes and discover new treasures. Today we're going to start with the parable of the sower. Sometimes it's called the parable of the soils. The reason we're going to start here is because it's foundational to all the parables. In Mark's account, when the disciples ask him what this parable means, Jesus says, If you do not understand this parable, then how will you understand any of the parables? So it seems like this is a a good place to start. We're going to be looking at Matthew's account, and it's in Matthew 13. He gives it to us in three sections. First, he just gives us the parable at face value. And then there's a discussion about the purpose of parables. And then at the end, we get Jesus's explanation of the parable. And so we're just going to follow that outline. First, let's look at the parable. It begins in verse 3. Matthew 13, verse 3. A sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seeds that fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. 
Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. That's it. That's the whole teaching. And it would be really familiar to that audience. Um, They knew how a sower would cast seed across the whole plot of land. They knew that some seed would inevitably fall on bad soil. But they also knew that the main thing the sower would be thinking about is the harvest that would come from the seed that fell on good soil. So as a picture, at face value, they understood it. But what did it mean? Like, right off the bat, you would have so many questions. Okay, who's the sower? What's the seed? What are these soils? What's this harvest really about? What are the forces of nature at work in this story? Uh, You could see that they would have these questions and that they could be a little confused, even with this very familiar scene. There's a lot of mystery here. Now, we would end a teaching like this with a Q&A session. Like, we would not want anyone to leave confused about the message. And so we would do a Q&A session. We'd probably send a follow-up email just to tie up any loose ends. But that's not what happens here. The disciples do get a little Q&A session, but for everyone else, Jesus ends the teaching like this. Verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. I would get fired if I ended sermons like that, I think. Um, He's putting the ball in their court. He's saying, look, if you're here, then pay attention to what I'm saying. Like, understand these words. It's a little bit like if one of our boys were to come downstairs in the middle of the day and ask us to make them something to eat, like hypothetically. If that were to happen, we might say something like, well, you have two hands, don't you? And the implication is, is you can use those two hands to make yourself something to eat. And that's not a lot to ask, really. I mean, we're not talking about milking a cow or catching a chicken. Nobody's cooking from scratch here. We're just talking about, like, opening the refrigerator door. Maybe the freezer. That's it. He who has two hands, let him microwave a burrito. That's what we're trying to say. But listen, there have been times when we said something like that in this hypothetical situation, when our boys just stood there for a moment and then went back upstairs, like, did not eat. That's revealing, isn't it? Um, Apparently, they weren't that hungry after all. When Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, he's saying, don't just think about eating. Don't just talk about eating. Eat. Digest my words. Take them into you. If you come to church, but you don't really eat, then you weren't that hungry after all. You see, the parables have a little bit of an edge to them, and we need that. It might make you wonder why Jesus taught that way. Uh, The disciples had the same question. In verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Like, they wanted to know why he wasn't just making it super clear. Now, I don't have time to cover everything in this middle section, but the key thing that happens here in verses 10 through 17 is Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6. 
He's identifying himself with the prophets. Uh, The prophets were great preachers who also used stories and symbols. And there were some prophets like Isaiah who were sent to a people that would not listen to their preaching and would not repent. And then there are other prophets preaching the same message, and people listened and repented. And we're to see that Jesus' ministry is like that. Already in Matthew, in the first 11 chapters, we have seen people with soft hearts. They believe, and the kingdom comes upon them. And we've seen people with hard hearts. They can't see what is right in front of them. Charles Spurgeon said, The same sun which melts the wax also hardens the clay. Jesus teaches in parables because parables have a way of revealing truth to those who are receptive, but at the same time, concealing truth from those who aren't really listening. That's why the parable of the soils is foundational, because this parable is about how we listen to Jesus. Jesus tells us in the explanation that the, uh, the seed is the word of the kingdom, and those who hear the word are the four soils. And the interesting thing is, the only variable that determines success or fa- failure is the condition of the soils upon which the seed falls. Three of the four soils are not good. And that just tells us that there are a lot of ways to listen to Jesus, but not really hear him. And we know what that's like. Um, So much of our communication is beset with misunderstanding. Think about how you are on a Zoom call. You know, you're like, you're in that little box. The video's on. Everybody can see you. It looks like you're all there. But what they can't see is your computer screen. Like, you could be reading emails or scrolling Twitter while you listen in on that call. And they don't know that. Uh, They can't see the environment around you. They can't see that your house is a mess, your kids are fighting, you're not even wearing pants. They don't know. There's a whole world of things that you're aware of and that you're thinking about that they don't know. And that's a good picture of what's happening all the time. All the time, people are talking to us, but it's hard for us to hear their voice over the own voices in our head. Because inside, we are insecure and distracted and defensive, and it keeps us from really hearing and understanding people. It can keep us from really hearing and understanding Jesus, too. And that's a problem, because the kingdom comes to us by hearing Jesus. The kingdom comes into our lives through the Word of God. And this parable is asking us if we're listening like we listen in on a Zoom call or if we're really listening to understand what he says. And so, what is he saying? Um, For all who want to know, he explains it, beginning in verse 18. So let's look at the explanation of the parable. Matthew 13, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. It's interesting. He's already told it, and now he's saying, hear it. Like, really listen. Verse 19, he begins explaining. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This was what was sown along the path. The seed that fell along the path was easy for the birds to devour because it stayed on the surface. This person doesn't understand the message because it stays on the surface of their lives. You know, the Word of God can be considered, can be studied and discussed, yet never allowed to penetrate the heart. And in Matthew, to understand something means to internalize it. It means to take it into your life so that you live by it. To understand means to stand under and submit to it. I'm convinced that some people don't hear the word because they don't want to. That is, they don't want to stand under it. The irony is, by not coming under the rule of God, they just leave themselves open to all kinds of other influences that will run their lives. So think about how you listen to a sermon or how you read the Bible. How do you process it? Is it always abstract or academic for you? Does it ever tap into your emotional world? Do you ever experience the personal power of the truth? If not, be careful how you listen. Truth that stays on the surface gets snatched up by the evil one. Let's go to the second scene. It starts in verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this person hears the word and receives it with joy. Externally, everything looks great. But internally, he doesn't have the roots of conviction that he needs to keep the joy alive. Some soil in Palestine was thinly laid across a layer of limestone rock, much like a lot of Austin is. And so, you know, when the morning dew is out, the soil is fertile. And if a seed falls on it, it will sprout up really quickly. But when the sun comes out and the heat of the day dries up the ground then that plant which sprouted up will wither away just as quickly. The seed sprouted because the environment was good. But as soon as the environment changed, it withered away. I'm sure this happens in lots of ways. The specific change in environment here is that tribulation and persecution arise because of the word. So, As long as it's fun or comfortable to follow Jesus, then everything's awesome. But as soon as being a Christian is costly or uncool, then the joy fades and the word takes a back seat in our lives. One way I've seen this happen is I've seen people get connected to a church community. And because the community is so healthy and life-giving, that person grows a ton really quick and they have lots of joy. But then at some point, the environment changes. You know, they move away from the community, and almost immediately, their spiritual life withers away. And so what looked like real faith 
turns out to actually just have been a product of a good environment. That person didn't develop or cultivate a personal knowledge of God. And so when persecution came, they didn't have the strength to withstand the heat. This makes me think of wedding pictures, because everybody's happy on their wedding day. You can take the the unhappiest couple you know. If you look at their wedding pictures, they're so happy. But the wedding day and wedding pictures aren't the measure of a marriage. Anniversaries are. So now imagine the pictures of a couple on their 50th wedding anniversary. They might be doing a lot of the same things they were doing on their wedding day. Laughing, dancing, eating. But these pictures look different. The beauty in them is more profound. The joy more seasoned. For this couple, the wedding day was like a seed that grew deep roots of joy and commitment and sprouted up into a harvest of abundant love. Christianity has a honeymoon phase, and it's wonderful. I remember mine fondly. But that's not the measure or the goal of discipleship to Jesus. The goal of discipleship to Jesus is maturity over time. Um, It's deep roots. It's seeing the Word of God grow in your life and bear fruit. So, be careful how you listen. You need a lot more than an emotional experience of the Word if you want to grow old with Jesus. Let's look at the third scene. It starts in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Thorns, we have seen, are a symbol of futility. And futility is just trying to find ultimate purpose or meaning or security apart from God, because it just can't be done. So this seed that's among the thorns is entangled in that kind of futility. It's not about shallowness. It's not about not having roots. It's about rival plants. And two are listed here, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Um, The cares of the world are like the anxieties of the age. You know, Every time that I just like scroll, scroll through my social media, it doesn't take long until I start to feel some kind of pressure and anxiety. It's just so many problems that I can't solve, so many things that I can't have, so many successes that I will never achieve. And in the moment, it just overwhelms me. It overwhelms everything I know to be true. Imagine feeling like that every day or for years. That's how the cares of the world can suffocate everything you know to be true from the Word of God. The second rival plant is the deceitfulness of riches. It's not the riches that choke out the Word. It's the deceitfulness of riches. So what is that? Well, you know that thought you have sometimes that some more money would make things okay? That's the deceitfulness of riches. 
you know that drive that's in you that says if you just save enough, then you'll be secure in the future? That's the deceitfulness of riches. Money can't save you. Uh, Jesus puts it really plainly in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you can't serve God and money. To try to do so would be futile. The person entangled in the worries and the values of the world won't hear God because God will just be one voice among many. Ray Ortland illustrates it like this. He says, imagine your heart as a boardroom. Big table, leather chairs, bottled water, whiteboard, snacks, the whole thing. A committee sits around the table. There's the social self, the private self, the work self, the sexual self, the childhood memories self, and others. And this committee is arguing and debating and voting, constantly agitated, constantly divided. Rarely can this committee come to a unanimous decision, a wholehearted decision. One way, he says, that we might falsely accept Jesus is just to invite him on to our committee. You know, give Jesus a seat at the table. Give him a vote, too. Let him build a case, and then the rest of us will decide for or against. But if this is how we accept Jesus, then he is just one influence among others, easily offset by the voices which yell and demand and threaten. You're already saying, be careful how you listen. If God is just one voice among many, it will be almost impossible to hear him. Finally, the last scene, the good soil. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. This is the shortest description of the four. As if to say, being a fruitful Christian is not complicated. It's simply a matter of coming under the Word of God and letting it bear fruit in your lives. Anyone who really gets the Word of God into them such that it becomes part of their way of thinking and feeling and acting, that person will not help but be fruitful in their life. That sounds awesome. But if you're really listening, then you have this question, which is, okay, how can we become the good soil? See, that's the question deep in the heart of this parable. Now, lean in here. Really listen. The good soil is a picture of the redemption that we have in Christ. It points to Jesus as something much greater than just a wise teacher. In creation, the soil was good. Everything was good. God made everything with the power of his word. He blessed it, and it was good. Everything was fruitful. The earth was fruitful. And the first command he gave to the humans was to be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth. Creation was good. But then the humans fell into sin, and the ground was cursed with thorns and thistles. So instead of fruitfulness, 
We have futility. Jesus came to set us free from the curse of sin. And we see that here in the parable. He is planting His word in good soil. No thorns. And the soil is bearing fruit a hundred and sixty and thirtyfold. Can you see it? Jesus is planting His kingdom in this world and in our lives. It's sprouting up to new life and one day will will sprout up to the harvest of a new creation. Do you understand what this means? Jesus is the sower who became the seed. He fell to earth and died so that we can live. Think about it. In the beginning, God created by his powerful word. In the fall, the evil one twisted the word of God and we disobeyed the word of God. In redemption, the word who was with God and who was God became flesh and dwelt among us. The evil one tempted him to turn the stone into bread. But Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus was not looking for the temporary joys of approval and comfort. Rather, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross despising its shame. He took upon his head a crown of thorns. All the weight of our sorrow and all the futility of our false hopes pressed down on him as he hung on a cross, struggling to breathe. And when it was his time, he said, it's finished, and he breathed his last. And then, behold, the kingdom of God, the seed that was planted in the earth, rose to bear much fruit and to multiply and to fill the world with the glory of God through his people. Jesus is the sower who became the seed who died for us so that we might live. Do you hear it? The first soil did not receive the word at all, though he heard it. The second soil received it with joy, but under pressure, he let it go. The third soil received the word with one hand only, because the other hand was distracted and busy. But the fourth soil received the word with both hands. And that's it. We might be tempted to make this about doing more, you know, like pulling the weeds and whatnot, but that misses the heart of the parable. The parable is not about busy hands. The parable is about open hands and open hearts and open minds ready to receive the life-giving words of Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.